You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. All right, welcome as we begin this series, Runner. Uh, I think they wanted me to start it off because they show all these videos of these people running and in good shape. And I guess they want me to be the one who, this is what you look like when you don't run. So here we go. You ready? You know what I'm saying, Matty Brown? I mean, you know, yeah. Here we go. That's not Matt. Is that Matt? It's not Matt. You look like, looks like Matt. Sorry. So take your Bible and turn to the book of Jonah. Give you a few minutes to find that. It's after a bunch of really small books, uh, prophets, and after Obadiah, and in there. But we're going to look at the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah is one of the most popular stories in all of Scripture. Most kids know about the story of Jonah. If you go to people who don't even know of God or aren't that faithful or active in a church, they seem to know the story about Jonah. So there's always been a controversy of whether or not Jonah is a true, historical, accurate uh, story. Is it real or is it an allegory or a metaphor or a legend? Well, we know that Jonah is a real prophet. We know he's a real man. From 780 to 755 B.C., he was God's prophet preaching and speaking all over Israel. In 2 Kings, they talk about him leading a great revival in the land of Israel. Even Jesus himself, when he was talking about his own uh, death, burial, and resurrection, he used Jonah As the illustration, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, I will be in the grave for three days and I'll rise again. So if Jesus thinks Jonah is real, I'm going to go ahead and say Jonah is real. Amen? So uh, people want to say, well, it's a fish, and scientists say a fish can't swallow, a whale can't swallow. And then people go, well, I I just want you to know, if God wants a fish to swallow a man, he'll create a fish to swallow a man. I mean, if God created everything in the universe, he can certainly handle that. So we know that Jonah is a real, authentic, historical figure, and we believe that God's word is true, and this happened just as it says it happened. But regardless of the details of the story, the theme of the story is universal and has been universal from all of history, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and that theme is disobedience. Disobedience. So let's read the text of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, and see this story, this very popular story of the human experience of disobedience. Now, verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. When the Lord hurled But then the Lord hurled a great wind or storm upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, "'What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God.'" Perhaps the God will give a a thought to us that we may not perish. 
And they said one to another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Not so much at this moment. Uh, The God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. And this is amazing. Jonah says, For I know, I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What a great story, and a true story. What we see as we hear about the story of Jonah is we see right off in verse 2 that God is ascending God. God has a land called Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and there are 120,000 people in Nineveh, and they have no one who is a follower of Yahweh at this time, the one true God. And God is sending Jonah to go to Nineveh to share the good news that there is a God, their creator God, who loves them and calling them to repent and to serve him. God is ascending God all throughout Scripture. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to a man named Abram, who will later be called Abraham. And in chapter 12, he says to Abram, the first words he says to Abram is leave. Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to a land I will show you. Without introducing himself, hey, Abram, my name's God, I'm Yahweh, you're Abram, and I'd like to meet you, now I want you to do something for me. First thing he says is leave. Leave everything that's comfortable to you and go to a land that I will show you. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah is having this amazing worship experience with the Lord. In the midst of this, the Lord says to Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah yells in the midst of this worship experience, here I am, Lord, send me. In John chapter 1, that great Christmas narrative that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we see that God is sending His Son Jesus to earth out of the comforts of heaven to a place where people are far from God so that God can draw them to Himself. In Matthew chapter 10 and Luke 10, Jesus sends out the disciples two two by two. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus says to them before they go, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray the Lord would send out laborers and go, go, I am sending you. Everything about God is going. In Acts chapter 13, the very first local church mission trip, the church at Antioch sends out Paul and Barnabas to the world to take the gospel of Jesus Christ where it had never been preached. 
Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus' last words says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world. And Jesus tells the disciples in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus appointed 12 so that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Go with God, go with Jesus so you can go for Jesus. Everything about the gospel from the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation when all time ends. God is about going and sending. Always sending, always going. Why? Why is God so obsessed? Why is he so compulsive in the area of going and sending? There's just one reason, friends, and one reason alone, because he desperately and hopelessly is in love with you. He desperately and is hopelessly in love with you. He's been pursuing you all your life. And he sent someone into your life because he loves you to bring you with him so that you can go for him. He's always pursuing. You may think you're here today for a variety of reasons. Maybe you didn't set your clock and you overslept your church and you accidentally just came here because it was close. Maybe... You're an 830 person and you slept and you're here. You don't know why you're here. There's lots of reasons why you think you're here today because your kids like it in the back or your kids enjoy being here. There may be a thousand reasons you think you're here, but they're not true. You're here for one reason, because God Almighty is pursuing you. He is pursuing you. He's been pursuing you all of your life. Why? Because he's obsessed with sending people to you to hear how much he loves you. And once we well up in that love, he brings us with him so that he can send us out for him to all the others who need to know his desperate and hopeless love for them. God is pursuing you. He's been pursuing you. You're here today again so he can speak into your heart through the power of his Holy Spirit. Even if you're like Jonah and you are running from God, God is running towards you. Man, that's good news. Think about the places where he found you. Where were you when the word of the Lord came to you? What brought you here today? I'm telling you, the pursuing of the great hound of heaven, Jesus Christ himself, pursuing us. David Platt, the president of the International Mission Board, said the most glorious reason you and I exist is for the proclamation of the glory of God to the ends of the earth. Amen. God is pursuing, God is going, God is sending. And like Jonah, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going and running towards God, his kingdom, his gospel, his good news, or you're running and going away. God is ascending God. He sends us, and in obedience, we go. So what does go mean? Wherever you are, go means somewhere else. <laughs> that makes sense? If I'm going to go, wherever I am, if I'm here and I'm going to go, i got to be somewhere other than right here. As you're going, be obedient. So God is ascending God, but Jonah 
Number two, Jonah runs away from God. Verse three, if there's ever a verse in your Bible or a couple verses that portray specific, blatant disobedience, it's these two verses right here. Verse two, God says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Verse three, Jonah flees and goes to where? Tarshish. I love this. Verse two, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Verse three, Jonah goes to Tarshish. I mean, let's face it, we're all have moments of disobedience. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Most of us are disobedient in some area of our life. But I mean, we try not to just be blatant about it, you know. God told me to do this. I didn't do it. Rarely do people in small groups say, hey, God's telling me to do something. Wow, what are you going to do? I'm not going to do it. Well, gee whiz, that sounds awful. Well, we would never say that. We say that, we just, we cover, right? Well, I think, or I'm not sure, or I'm praying about it. Praying about it's the big cover of all things, right? What are you going to say to that? Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes to Tarshish. I love it. It's so clear, this blatant disobedience and rebellion. Most of us might be disobedient, but we try not to be this blatant about it. Now, let's frame a little context here of what's really going on. Because Jonah is not a rebel the way we think of a rebel. When we think of someone who's running from God and disobedient from God and a rebel, we usually think of somebody like the prodigal son in Luke 15. He hoards up all his father's money. He goes to the big city. He parties for months. He buys prostitutes. He sleeps around. He buys drugs and alcohol, partying, buying, spending money for people to hang out until he spends it all. We go, man, that guy, he's a bad guy. I mean, he went out to the far country. He blew it all. He's a rebel. He's disobedient. But Jonah's not like that. He loves God. He's not anti-God. He's not a partier. Jonah's been preaching. He's faithfully preaching. He's not against preaching the word of God. He just led a great revival. So what is really going on here in his deliberate disobedience that caused God to bring such swift consequences and judgment Upon his actions. Well, first of all, the context is important. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria, the Assyrians have been persecuting and brutally, uh, uh, violently killing Israelites. They're attacking, they're raping, they're, 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 they're brutalizing women and children. They're killing the men. They're capturing all of their material possessions and taking them back to the city of Nineveh. Perhaps Jonah has even had a sister raped or killed or taken as a, a female slave, or maybe he's had his house burned. I mean, before we jump on Jonah too much about his disobedience, think about somebody who was 10 years old when their father was killed in the 9-11 Twin Towers. And now this young boy that's 10 is now 20-something years old. And God comes to him and he says, hey, I want you to go take the gospel to Afghanistan, to Iraq, to Iran, to Saudi Arabia. What would your answer be? See, Jonah's answer is, I'm not going to share the gospel with them. This is an extremely dangerous place. But mostly, Lord, I don't want you to forgive and save them. I want them to burn in hell. Man. 
Think about a Holocaust survivor being called in 1940s to go to Germany and preach the gospel of Jesus to the German people. Think about the son or daughter of a slave who's called to go back and share the good news of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ to plantation owners in Mississippi. I just want you to know, Jonah's not rebelling because he doesn't want to follow Jesus here. There are reasons. There's stuff going on. What do you do when God asks you to forgive your mom or your dad? That person who hurts you, that boss who lied about you, the person at work, the friend who walked out on you, shared lies, made up stories. Do you pray for them that God would love them and forgive them and save them? Or do you pray, God, I pray the vengeance of heaven upon their life? Jonah doesn't think God's fair. He's playing God. So before we get too hard on Jonah, there's stuff going on. and This is not a sin of commission like we might see the prodigal son. A sin of commission is God told me uh, not to do something and I do it. Commission. Doing something, an act that's wrong, that's sinful. This is a sin of omission. God told me to do something that I should do, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. We're so focused in our world today on sins of the flesh, what we do. Ooh, did you do that? You did that? Oh my gosh, you did that. You shouldn't have done that. And while we're focused on sins of the flesh, Jesus is focused on the sins of the Spirit. Sins of omission. What are you not doing? What about your feelings of hatred and anger and gossip and lack of humility and pride? All of those things lead to the sins of the flesh and Jonah is wrapped up in a sin of omission. I just don't want to do it. He says no to God. Now, when you want to run away from God, some things happen. Dominoes stack up and begin to fall. And we see them happen right here in the verse, one right after another. The first thing in is the enemy provides a boat. Verse 3. So Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes to Tarshish. He's on his way to Tarshish. He stops at a port city called Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish, a ship that was ready boarding and ready to go to Tarshish. I want you to know, if you want to walk away from God, there'll always be a boat ready to take you there. Always be a boat ready to take you there. It's ready. It's fueled up. Captain's in place. All the shipmates are there and ready to go, just waiting for you to board and get on that thing and start going in a different direction that God wants you to go. It's ready. The enemy will always have a ship. He'll always have that person that you know who's saying, yeah, go ahead, that's what I would do. Really? Oh, that's what I needed. I needed some affirmation. Yeah, leave your husband, leave your wife. It's the right thing. That's what I would do. If they treated me that way, I would do that. Always have a boat. 
That big purchase you want to buy. I mean, the boat show just happened. Oh, my gosh. It was there. And then, and then I was praying, Lord, you want me to buy a new boat? I was praying about it. And then a credit card came in the mail, 0% interest. I mean, that was just God, right? I was praying about it. The credit card, 0% interest came. I just assumed that was God. There's always a boat. There's always a friend. There's always someone to be there for you who shouldn't be there for you. It's always a boat. Money-making scheme, just to get a little bit more money. You've been praying about a little bit more money, and here's this money-making scheme, and what happens is we begin to think this boat is God's will. I mean, it's ready. Jonah was like, God told me to go to Nineveh. I started walking toward Tarshish. I was just walking along the Mediterranean Sea coast, and I bumped right into a boat that was ready. I guess I thought God wanted me to go to Nineveh, but this boat was ready. It was ready to go to Tarshish. I just assumed that's God's will. It was right there. Yeah, Jonah, when you walk along the Mediterranean Sea, there's lots of boats. That's what they do there. And there'll be one ready for you if you want to walk away. Young single people, hey, I'm, I th- I'm not going to date. I'm not going to date. Well, that's what I prayed, and I think that's what God told me. But then this guy came up to me. Then this girl came up to me. She was so nice. She was so amazing. He was so kind. Like, I've never met a nice man in my life. So I assume if one nice man on the whole planet came up to me, that's God's will. Don't you think? The boat's ready. It's got to be God's will. And then secondly, God sends a storm. Verse 4. Now, what's interesting about this is how opposite we get these things the enemy sent a boat God sends a storm I do a lot of counseling and most of the people that I hear come in their life's in a challenge at the best a lot of relational conflict a lot of pain a lot of confusion a lot of chaos in their life you know what they almost say 99% of the time you know who they blame for the chaos in their life the enemy all these storms are going on Devil's hitting me, life's hitting me, stuff's hitting me. I mean, it's just chaotic. Devil's really putting me through a test right now. He's really ringing me out. I'm not saying that's not true and can't be true, but think about it. The enemy sends the boat. God sends the storm. So many times we are deceived, a word called deception. Deception is a big fancy word in the Greek that simply means opposite. It's like you see something as black, but you think it's white. You see something white, you think it's black. You think it's good, but it's really bad. You think something bad is good. Deception. You're deceived. Jonah may be thinking, hey, there's a boat. God sends a boat. Devil's causing a storm. Just the opposite just the opposite. Why? Because God is sending a storm to let Jonah know you want to go to Tarshish, but my friend, you will never get there. Tarshish represents your will. Nineveh represents God's will. You're not going to get there. You can fight and scratch and claw and do everything you want to try to get there. I'll do even crazy things like creating a fish that will swallow you 
to make sure you never get there. Why? That's so mean. That's so angry. No, because I desperately and hopelessly love you. And I know your life will not make sense to you apart from following my will. The chaos, you're running away from, no peace. You're running to Tarshish, and God told you to go to Nineveh, and he sends a storm. The devil certainly can allow things, and the consequences of our sinful actions certainly create conflict and chaos. But my friends, some of you right now may be experiencing a storm, chaos, relational conflict, because you're running away from God. And then the last thing that Jonah that happens in the domino is that other people suffer. Other people suffer when we're disobedient, sometimes for all of eternity. These guys are throwing things overboard. This trip for them was a money-making business venture, and now they're throwing away all of their supplies and all of their cargo, all their trading stuff that they were going to use to make money. They're throwing it over. They're fearing for their life. They're holding on by a thread. All this is Jonah's fault. Any belief that what you're doing right now, what you're sneaking and doing, what you think no one knows you're doing, only affects you as a lie from hell. It affects other people. In spiritual ways, emotional ways, it affects other people. Not only would it affect those sailors, but it will affect the 120,000 Ninevites who never hear the gospel, never hear the good news that Yahweh loves them, and they die and spend an eternity in hell if Jonah doesn't go. Other people get hurt, and sometimes they suffer. I was a basketball player back in the day and in high school in Ohio, in Ohio church and Christianity and, and uh, you know, this one service at the church in Ohio would have been a mega church. And back in the 80s when I went to high school, man, we had lockers and we sat beside somebody and there's a guy that was beside me for three years, sophomore, junior, senior year, sat right beside me. His name was Kelly. And in those days, man, you just did everything together. You changed, you showered, you rode the bus to away games, you rode the bus home, you laughed when you celebrated, when you won, you cried, you were upset, you were quiet when you lost. I mean, we did everything together. All the team. The only guy on that team that knew anything about God, who knew anything about Jesus, who even went to church on Sunday was me. In a sense, I was Jonah in that Nineveh. I believe God put me there to be a light, that he put me there to share God's love, to pray for people who were hurting, and Kelly sat right beside me, and Kelly's life was chaotic. His family life was chaotic. He was always hurting. He was always trying to find everything he could to fill his life, those holes in his life, with all kinds of stuff, partying, girls, everything he could do. He would fill his life with that. And then one day he would come in after all of that, and he would just be sad and melancholy and just tell whatever he was trying to fill it with, it wasn't filling it. 
And I would listen and I would hear and I would hear when he would brag about things he did. I would hear when he was silently talking about things that hurt him and his family. And I said nothing. Not once did I say, can I pray with you? Not once did I say, Kelly, would you like to go to church with me, my family? Nothing. I was just a basketball player. I wanted to get through high school. Didn't want to not be cool. I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be awkward. I didn't want to be made fun of. Let's just get through this and get out of here. My freshman year at college, my dad calls me. And he says, Todd, I just want you to know that Kelly just killed himself. The girl he was dating in high school broke up with him. Life just became too much for him. He took his life. I was 19 years old, and I'll never forget that moment. A, a horrible feeling just sunk through my entire body. Conviction, embarrassment, disappointment, failure, all those times, I could have just said one sentence. Kelly, I want you to know that there is hope. I want you to know that there's somebody who cares about you. I never one time said a word to him. Well, I thought what I was doing would only hurt me. I can only guess it hurt the entire team. And for some like Kelly, for all of eternity. It profoundly changed my life. I never wanted to be in that place again. I never wanted to be. They may not all have followed Jesus. Obviously, they probably wouldn't have. But they would have heard. He would have heard. You are Jonah. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are Jonah. I am Jonah. And everywhere I go and everywhere you go is your Nineveh. And there are Kellys there. There are people there. And when we don't share, their eternity, their life is greatly affected. If Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh, 120,000 people are going to die and go to hell forever. There are about 7.34 billion people in the world. Over 4 billion people do not follow Jesus Christ. 2 to 3 billion of those people are not following Jesus, but it's not because they're being rebellious or disobedient or rejecting Jesus. They're not following Jesus because they've never heard of Jesus. Because they're in unreached, unengaged people groups around the world. They've never heard of Jesus, and they're going to be born, and they're going to live, and they're going to die, and they're going to spend an eternity away from God without knowing a single Christian or ever hearing the gospel. So why is God obsessed with sending and going and go to Nineveh and go to India and go to Iraq and go to Iran and go to China and go to South America and go, 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 go to Maravon, go to, why, why, why? Because John 3, 16, for God so what? 
loved, he loves, he loves the world. He's pursuing the world, and he's trying to send us to go to it because he loves them too. The question is not, does God love and does God care for his world? The only question is, will we love and care for the world and go as he cares for the world? Aren't you glad the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part? Aren't you glad that they were faithful to that? Because if not, we could all be Buddhists today, Hindus today, Nazis today. I mean, remember, Israel is here. Okay, Israel is here. Jerusalem is here. Judea is around. Samaria is the bigger region above Judea. But they went out into the uttermost part. At that time when Jesus was saying that, friends, we were the world. We were the uttermost parts. And if they hadn't have taken that serious and sent someone over here so that we could hear the gospel, wherever we were, we were not in Israel. Somebody brought the gospel to us. And our Jerusalem, Judea, is here, Maryville, Blount County, North America, the world. Now it shifts back on us to go all over to be his witnesses. So why aren't we going? Why aren't we going? There are things called the gospel hurdles. And if you'll take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to just talk into this for just a moment. If you're not going, I know, I know it's not about God sending because God always sends. He draws us in to send us out. So God is sending every single one of us. That's never the question. The question is, are we going? Will we go? Where are we going? But sometimes there are some gospel hurdles. The, the, the gospel hurdle for Jonah is very simple. He did not love them. He did not want them to be saved. He wanted them to burn. I'm just going to assume right now that there aren't any of those kind of people in here, although there may, but I'm not going to, I'm going to say that there's nobody looking at somebody and going, man, I just hope they die and go to hell. I mean, at least we wouldn't say it out like that, right? I hope, I hope, oh my gosh. Um, but anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14, we see Paul talking about the gospel hurdles. These are three hurdles. Some of you may have talked about this in your small groups. But Paul says this, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us, in some translations, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Are you compelled? Do you have a desire in your heart? Are you passionate and compassionate about sharing the gospel? Have you been convinced that Jesus is the only way and that Jesus is the only solution for humanity and that people must hear the gospel and it's a compelling desire and passion of your heart? If not, are you really a follower of Jesus? Do you know that for sure? And, and if you are, why is that not welling up? Because Paul says, I am convinced, I'm controlled, I'm compelled. Why? Because we have concluded that Jesus Christ died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all people, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised, that they would live for Jesus. Are you compelled with your heart? Secondly, are you conscious 
Are you conscious? Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. I no longer regard people according to the flesh. I look at people according to their spirit. Are we conscious that there are only two kinds of people in the world? Those far from God and those who are with God saved. And if they're far from God, if they're lost, they need to be evangelized. They need to have the gospel shared with them. And if they are with God and they are followers of God, then they need to be discipled so that they can share the gospel. We either evangelize the lost or we enlist the saved. Do you see the world that way? We no longer look at it according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Are we conscious of our life? Are you conscious of the gospel truths? Are you seeing things the way God sees them. In the book of Colossians chapter 4, Paul prays this prayer. In chapter 4 verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am a prisoner, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Are you conscious? Pray. Pray, Paul says, for an open door to share the gospel. When you pray, when you pray in your devotional time, do you pray every single day for an open door to share the gospel? I pray for an open door to share the gospel. I pray that you'll bring somebody in my life, that I'll engage someone in my life to share the gospel. Praying for an open door. Are you conscious about that? Everywhere you look, there are lost people. There are saved people. I need to share the gospel with the lost. I need to disciple the saved. Is that the forefront of your mind in your head? Are you conscious? Some of you, think that you do what you do in your normal week schedule because you think you like that. Some of you spend hours and hours at basketball courts, football fields, soccer fields, baseball fields, martial arts classes, dance classes, and you think you're there because your kids want to do that or you want your kids to do that. And I'm here to challenge that and say, you're there because you're God's Jonah. And he put that desire in your heart to participate in that. He put desire in your kid's heart to participate in that because you have a whole place now to share relationship and share the gospel. We have so many lakes around here. There's no better place than to take somebody out fishing for four to five hours in a boat. They can't go anywhere. You don't want to hear? Jump over. But man, God loves you. You think that you like, you think you're going to the gym to work out and get in shape? Who put that desire in your heart? The Holy Spirit put that desire in your heart because at the gym are hundreds of people far from God and you're right now, you're Jonah right in the middle of Nineveh. But if we're not conscious of it, if we're thinking it's about us, I play in tennis leagues every year. Here's why I play tennis. Uh, because I have to find lost people. My, my job's here at the church. I have to work to find lost people. So I get in leagues. Why? Not because I, I, I just have to play some. I, I got to get involved. I got to be in a Nineveh somewhere. Are you conscious and intentionally aware? Hey, there are thousands of people at those baseball fields, soccer fields, moms and dads, and a lot of them don't want to be there. 
Have you ever thought about talking to them, engaging a conversation, and at least just praying? Can I pray for you about that? Every single area of your life, how are you leveraging it in the, for the kingdom of God? Look at your schedule. I promise you. Our, uh, this is your Nineveh. God has sent you there at work. You didn't just become an engineer. You didn't just become a doctor, a lawyer, or a plumber, or a contractor. You are Jonah being sent to Nineveh wherever you are. And God's got us everywhere to share the love of God with people. Are you leveraging your life? Are you leveraging your job? Are you leveraging your schedule? Are you leveraging your finances? Are you leveraging your hobby? Are you leveraging your gym time? Are you leveraging your dog walk time at the dog park? I'm telling you, there are folks there, not just dogs. Your lake time, are you leveraging that for the kingdom of God? And then lastly, are you confident? You say, okay, my heart is swelling up. I need to be actively engaging spiritual conversations with people. My head, I'm now conscious. I'm going to see the waitress today at lunch. I'm going to see the person that sits beside me at work, the person who works out with me at the gym. I'm going to see everything in consciousness, lost, saved, God, gospel conversations, praying when people share their stories. But once I get there, what do I say? What do I say? There are two things that you always have to do in the sharing of the gospel. You need your story and you need God's story. Your story, your testimony, three minutes. My life before Christ, how I came to Christ, my life after Christ. One minute for each of those three, I'm sharing my testimony. Share your testimony. Share your testimony. Look for opportunities to share your testimony. And then always be able to share God's story. Jesus came, died, died on the cross. What, we, you can go to your, your phone and go to the app. We use the three circles here. Go to Life Conversation Guide on the app. Go to the app store, Life Conversation Guide, and just download the Life Conversation Guide. It's so easy. But I'm telling you, as you leave here, you're Jonah, you're Jonah or Mrs. Jonah, and you're going out these doors, and you're going somewhere. You're always going. You're at home. When you're at home, you leave. What are you doing? You're going somewhere. When you're going somewhere, you're going somewhere else. You're always going. God's sending always. Where are you going to go? How are you going to go? Are you praying? You say, well, this sounds like, just sounds too much like an agenda, like God has an agenda, or like I have an agenda. Absolutely. There's no question about it. God has an agenda. It's called an agenda of love. God has an agenda of love. Read with me in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them or ours, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are now God's ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. God has an agenda. His agenda is to reconcile the whole world to himself. He has made us his ambassadors and entrusted to us the ministry and the gospel of reconciliation question is, 
What are you going to do with that? We talked about stewardship for three weeks, four weeks, about financial stewardship. How about gospel stewardship here? You're going tomorrow. You're going to a meeting. You're going to your job. You own that business. You're going to the gym. You're going to the dog park. You're going. God is sending you, Jonah. He's sending you there. Is your whole world wrapped up? Your heart's desire compelled. Your head, your conscience of those who are far from God, those who are close and themselves. And am I confident in how to share that? We need to be sharing the gospel three, three to five times a week. Reps, reps, reps. I don't care if it's to your cat, Fluffy, to your dog, to your spouse, to your two-month-old who can't hear. Share the gospel. Tell the gospel. Tell your story. Tell your test. Reps, reps, reps. I'd love to go to the gym and lift a weight and go, whoo, that's good, man. I'm in shape. I'm glad to be there. I'm glad. But, but it's reps, right? Reps. We have not practiced sharing the gospel. We've become Jonah who's been involved in a sin of omission. We, we're not deliberately disobeying God in the sense of I'm doing what you don't want me to do, but I'm not doing what you want me to do. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and just ask you, are you running to God as kingdom in the gospel or are you running away from God? Nineveh is God's will. Tarshish is your will. God is ascending God. What about it? You know, you say, well, just awkward. I feel embarrassed. I feel socially uh, outcast, ostracized. I get it. I get it. But that's about you. We're supposed to be selfless. Is there a Kelly in your life? You sit by him at work every day. I tell you what, I would give anything. I would give anything to go back and sit on that bench in that locker room and have 30 seconds and turn to Kelly and just say, I just know there's a lot of confusion in your life, but there's a God who loves you. And he died for you. And he does have a plan and purpose for your life. And I just promise you, Kelly, I'll pray for you that someday you might come to know him. 15 seconds. Who knows what would have happened? You're Jonah in your neighborhood. How are you going to leverage every piece of your life, your heart, your head, your mouth, for the kingdom? Lord Jesus, give us courage. Give us opportunities. We pray for open doors in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.